now, the Riverdale Carnival presents the Archie. Archie Fox. Okay, everybody, here we go with our new hit record, Sugar, Sugar. Welcome to another episode of Milkshakes and Mimosas. Apologies on the delay for this episode. We uh, had it all recorded, and it was good. It was in the bank. And then the recording software that we were using completely messed up the file and isn't good at all and wasn't salvageable. Unfortunately, I recorded two podcasts that night, so I lost two. But uh, as for you guys, uh, it's okay. Just one one day delay, but I just want to kind of explain why that was. And unfortunately, we couldn't get the guests back either because, uh, you know, they have lives. And I'm like, well, I better scramble and get this episode out. So this episode might not be uh, what you're used to because there's not going to be other hosts. It's just going to be me. And uh, I'm kind of just going to be kind of outlying and talking and doing a review of a book. Uh, and it's a good book, too. Uh, the book that I am uh, talking about this week is called The Day Before, and it's written by uh, Nicole Ostow, which is, she's a female writer, and she's actually been in the game of writing, uh, uh, I would say, tie-in books to TV shows for a long time. Like, she's been doing this for quite some time. So even back in 2003, she was writing stuff for like Charmed and Buffy the Vampire Slayer. So she's kind of been in this realm for a long time. And as such, I was uh, really surprised by just how relevant this book is. Uh, If you are a fan of the TV show and you are younger and you're kind of like hip to what's kind of going on in the youth culture this book is actually a pretty great read i would say um now there are some plot points that kind of don't go anywhere and don't fully get resolved and there is a bit of kind of build up to no payoff in some storylines because this is a prequel novel set of course the day before season one episode one of riverdale and kind of sets everything up before the... Well, sorry, I, I guess technically it's not before episode one, season one, because it, I don't recall if the pilot... The pilot takes place after summer has ended, and this book is the lead-up to July 4th, which is when Jason Blossom uh, gets killed, and he dies. So this is the lead-up to that, and as such, a lot of stories kind of like build up, build up, build up, and then you don't really get to go anywhere with them uh i listened to the audiobook version of the of this story and scholastic audio put it out and it's on audible and anywhere else that uh, audiobooks are found and it ha- is a uh, pretty well narrated um it works out well for certain storylines uh i would say so the way this book is structured is there is a chapter and character development and you're kind of in the shoes of the four main characters from the series. So Archie, Jughead, Veronica, and Betty. And you're kind of in their shoes for the entire 
chapters that they are in, and each one, each member of the cast has a different narrator for the audiobook. So it works well for certain characters if you're going to listen to it like this. Uh, for example, uh, the chapters with Veronica and the chapters with Betty all really good, really solid, really flow really well. Uh, even the, the chapters with Jughead, it works. Because Jughead is, again, in his full loner stage, so he doesn't interact with a lot of people. The issue is for the audiobook. Now, this wouldn't be an issue if you're just reading the book. But the audiobook, Archie interacts with other women characters quite frequently. And the voice that the uh, reader, the audiobook, audiobook edition, I don't know which is, the narrator of that chapter, uh, chooses some weird voices that really can distract you and make you go, oh, God, this is this is bad. I should have just read this book normally. Uh, especially when uh, Cheryl Blossom shows up. Because, yes, Cheryl Blossom does show up. Cheryl Blossom doesn't have much to do in the book, which is kind of unfortunate. I mean, I could just read an entire thing all about, you know, Cheryl Blossom's exploits. But in this one, um, whenever she shows up, oh, goodness gracious, the dialogue is... It, it would work if it was coming from Madeline Petch, right? Like, she gets a lot of ridiculous dialogue in the show, and it just, she sells it so well that you're just like, yeah, okay, that was kind of ridiculous, but I'm all in on that particular storyline, so it's all good. Uh, in this case, though, it, the narrator does some really weird, like, hey, what's up, guys? Well, good. sorry, that's not a, that's a terrible impression of a terrible impression. Congrats, welcome. This is the Ouroboros of terrible impressions uh but yeah so the some of her lines when they're not read by madeline petch or you're not reading them in her voice uh it's uh they're not good they're not good at all it's bad the voice he puts on is bad and it's very distracting but that being said uh other than that though i would say it's a uh, it's a pretty solid read it's nothing groundbreaking uh and also it's not as adult oriented as Riverdale the show I mean Archie is still in the relationship with Miss Grundy and all that is happening but it's not as sex filled there's not as much murder and romp and rampage and incest babies and gargoyle kings and the real wacky stuff that you get in Riverdale now like there's no serial killers in this like it's just it's normal kids on summer vacation, going through things. As such, you're not going to get the craziness that you get in Riverdale. And you also, the characterizations are more akin to the comics in some cases, rather than what we actually see in Riverdale, the show. For example, Jughead eats a lot of burgers and is like constantly talking about how gluttonous he is and like classic Jughead. Like if you've ever read an Archie comic, you know Jughead. He loves burgers. He's constantly eating burgers. He's just having a having a gay all time and enjoying all the burgers. But that is not really in the show. I mean, like they made a big deal when I think it was in season two. There's like a flashback scene or something where you finally see Jughead eat a burger. And like that was a big deal. As big of a deal as anything can be on a TV show for kids but anyways uh but as such the tone is much more akin to like classic archie romp with like slightly darker edges and tones it's also very prescient 
if you know anything about popular culture and things that are happening specifically for teens, you will kind of get a lot more out of this book. I didn't, and I actually learned that a lot of things that I thought were made up for this book were real. And unfortunately, you guys won't hear me uh, fumble and learn that, oh, Hello Giggles is actually a place, uh, is actually a website for women written by Zoe Deschanel. And I had no idea. I Sorry, she st- founded by J- Zoe Deschanel. She had something to do with the founding. But uh, it, was, uh, it was a surprise because I just thought it was a generic fake thing that they made up for this book, right? And there are fake, like uh, Veronica, uh, the reason Hello Giggles comes up is because in Betty's chapter, uh, she is, uh, Betty's chapters, she is an intern with Hello Giggles. And it's a real place. I thought it was a made up fake BuzzFeed, but it's not. It's real. So there you go. That's a surprise. And Veronica in her chapter, she's like an intern and assistant for a very famous fashion designer. And the it's a real fashion designer. Like, this is a real woman who is huge in the fashion industry. You also find out there's a lot of drops and references to, like, famous celebrities that Veronica has been seen with. And Veronica, like, hangs out with and does stuff before she's all poor, poor, poison. Uh, and in that regard, it's kind of interesting. Because if you watch Riverdale the show, the references are for people who are adults now, right? Like, the the references are not for modern, hip teenagers. It's it's very clear that it's 30-year-old dudes reliving their childhood, making characters that will reference 80s movies and reference uh, things that uh, normal teenagers now just don't know. It's, like, old-timey movie actors. And that's kind of the appeal for a lot of, uh, like, more uh, adult fans of Riverdale. Um, but if you are a person who's just a fan of the comics version of Archie and you kind of want to dive in a little bit, I would say I would definitely recommend that you you read this book. There's there's a few scenes that are really touching in it. And I'm going to kind of go spoilerific from here on out um, and kind of actually give a kind of a consistent breakdown of the chapters and character arcs and opinions on on things like that however uh if you are interested in the book and don't want to be spoiled here's your warning uh i would if you're on the fence and you want to read it i would definitely recommend going out picking up this book reading it it's pretty cheap it's not going to take you a whole long long day to do it you can probably just sit at the beach and read or stay inside in a hidey hole or put an audiobook on and go for a run and you know have a good time like it's just a it's a solid ya story that's probably what i would say and uh, i and michaela stow also wrote this second riverdale book we're talking about uh later this month so i am looking forward to that now because she is a very competent writer and i'm uh impressed with the book but anyway so let's actually kind of dive in and and talk about the book as it is. So, like I mentioned, it's all in separate chapters. Uh, the cha- the characters are relegated to POVs in specific chapters. Uh, the I would rate in interest and like how good and how much how worthy worth they are of reading is uh, Veronica's stuff and her journey is the best. Jughead stuff is interesting. His chapters are good, and they have some really poignant moments, which I'll which I'll get into when I do a full breakdown. Then Betty's chapter, and then Archie's chapter. I mean, 
Archie is more interesting in this version of the book and his Riverdalian agencies, but for the most part, he's kind of just reminiscing on how he's sleeping with Grundy and that stuff, and it's kind it's it's a, a bit of a slog. But the the other chapters are are good and consistent. And look, if you like Archie at all, you like the TV show version of Archie, you're gonna like it. I just find that character kind of grating. And yeah, so that's exactly why I decided to start a podcast why he is the head. Also, none of these characters are together for the most part. Uh, Jughead and Archie do have brief interludes where they kind of like hang out. And a lot of this book is dedicated to Jughead being like, oh, where is me? My friend no longer friends with me and I am here alone. Let me quote Sartre and do pretentious things. Um, so, I mean, typical, typical season one Jughead, although, uh, he, he gets some good stuff in this book, actually, I'm, I'm not gonna lie, but yeah, so other than those two interacting, the characters do not interact with each other, um, so briefly. So, the storylines, so what we get in between chapters is also really kind of cool, is there's a lot of emails shared, so with characters that you don't get a POV of, you kind of learn what they are up to, through emails so there'll be like Hiram Lodge emailing people there's like uh you see the blossoms a lot of the blossom emails like characters are emailing each other and being like I need you to go pick up the drugs and deliver it to the serpents and all this stuff where if you've seen the show you kind of know what is happening and the hints and there's also some like Josie and the Pussycats stuff that you get in this book. Not a lot, but what you do get is actually pretty great. There's a few emails. There's a lot of talk about how Reggie is absolutely in love with Josie, which is not something I think the show has ever addressed. I mean, like, maybe those two characters has ha- have had an interaction, but, eh? Like, not a lot. So it was kind of cool to... It was kind of cool to see that... And you find out that he once, Reggie, Reggie once faked an illness in order to get Josie to go on a date with him. And then Reggie's all like, well, no, bro. I was just, you know, it was just being a prank, bro. It's a prank. Yeah, bro. Whatever, man. And just being stupid and, and being Reggie. But, hey, you know, it's pretty good. Uh, and so I really liked all of that stuff, the little, like, in-between stuff. You get There's a few emails from, like, Pr- uh, Principal Weatherby and stuff like that. It's just, like, small little things that I kind of like. Uh, but actually getting into the chapters themselves. So Betty's storyline, Betty is in L.A. for this whole book. She does not come back to Riverdale. She's not in Riverdale at all. So as such, her storyline is actually pretty disconnected because like this is kind of her at an internship which i don't like did we ever learn about betty being in la i have to we're gonna uh, redo uh and do a big talk on season one later this month so we'll kind of dive in there but i don't believe we ever have heard of this internship um which is kind of interesting but it's cool it's fine like it's mostly her just kind of like growing self-confidence and like trying to navigate her place in the work field there's like a weird mystery kind of thing that's brought in when somebody tries to frame her for stealing purses that she didn't steal um and you think you figured out who it is and like you kind of figured out who it is like it's they they strongly hit that it's this co-worker named cleo 
but they don't really resolve the plot line, which is one of the issues that I have uh, with this book. Because there's not a lot of the Betty's story that gets resolved. She has like a boyfriend named Brad who calls himself Rad Brad for some for some reason. I don't know. I don't know why he calls himself Rad Brad. I don't know why anyone would call themselves Rad anything. Uh, but you know, there it is, Rad Brad. And she has a boyfriend, and like together they're like doing some investigating and like doing some little bit of sleuthing. Uh, there's some Nancy Drew drops because like it's it's really it's like kind of like beginner Nancy Drew stuff. Like it's she's not investigating a murder. She's investigating who put clothes in her bag and made it look like she stole them, but her boss doesn't really care that much. So, it's like, there's not even the threat of being fired because you'd think, like, if they wanted to kind of create some tension, I think they probably should have made the idea about her stealing a more prescient thing because, as is, her boss sees it and is like, look, this is bad, you're on watch, but, like, whatever it's fine i don't really care that much you you do you and that's kind of how that works so she's just kind of like she's like in a bit of trouble but she insists she's innocent and then her boss is like well there's no need to lie you're caught red-handed and yeah it's that stuff's not great but the internal stuff with betty where she's kind of like learning about herself and kind of feeling more confident 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 confidentiality confident i don't know why i'm going to keep repeating the word it's fine okay confident she's feeling more confident and believes in herself a little bit which is a nice is a nice kind of hint to how she would be when she finally gets back to riverdale there's a lot of stuff with her texting polly and her and polly having like a a better relationship which in the show proper that's one of the things that kind of never really clicked you never really got polly and betty's relationship uh feeling more cohesive and feeling more sisterly and them being kind of like there for each other and invested but in this storyline they are very much invested and in good terms with each other and texting and sending messages and just talking about how great things are you also get a lot of stuff where they're talking about how much um how much betty loves archie which again, you don't re- you get a little bit of that in uh, in Riverdale season one, but they pretty quickly gloss over this idea of having a uh, love triangle to just you know set up just Bughead, Betty and Jughead all the way Bughead. Anyways, but yeah, so that's that's that storyline. Uh, there's this kind of interesting plot that you again you would have thought would have come up in actual Riverdale proper but she's assigned to write a piece and write a big long article all about Veronica so she's like she's supposed to do like this piece about like who's this Veronica and the piece eventually gets uh canceled so she doesn't even get to write so she's trying to get a hold of Veronica the whole story and she doesn't get a hold of them so they don't actually talk but she keeps trying to you know get a hold of her and like try to get a quote and try to get an interview with her so she can look good for her boss but she can't and she keeps getting missed and she's about to publish a story with what she's got and she's about to finish it and and get it all going Uh, at one point she loses the story and then like flips out and like like she had it saved on her computer or something and she lost it and then she like flips out and then we get hints of dark betty which is kind of cool because as stupid as dark betty is i mean at least you know 
we get hints of it. So it's like kind of more cohesive that way. And then she finds out she doesn't have to rewrite the article because the article got canceled because Hiram Lodge went down and nobody wants to touch the lodges with a 10-foot pole, which is kind of interesting. But that's, yeah, that's Betty's storyline. Veronica's storyline, tying into that, Veronica's storyline is great. I love Veronica's storyline in this book. It kind of plays out, like, honestly, like, I compared it to, like, Game of Thrones-ish, right? Like, there's this, uh, if you've never read the Game of Thrones books or seen the show, there is, I believe it's the fifth season of the show and the fifth book. There is a plot line of one of the characters, like, Cersei Lannister, who's, like, thinks that she's in control of a situation, and the situation is, like, slowly getting out of hand and slowly this unseen force and in this case it's like the church in game of thrones it's the church so the church gains power and kind of takes over the kingdom right from under her and she doesn't really see all the signs and everything like that whereas uh, in this book it's very similar because everyone else knows that she is going to go down and her whole family is going to lose all of their money by the end of the day except for veronica so veronica does not know it's kind of, like, I guess, like, they're all talking to each other because, like, she's dealing with a bunch of, like, rich, erudite jerks. And I guess that they're all kind of just, like, talking and they have hidden information and they know a little bit more. So she is, this whole book thinks that she's, like, all-powerful, using all of her weight, pushing all of her weight around people. And you kind of slowly get to witness her lose control, which is, uh, which is interesting. We also get a lot more of Nick Sinclair, who, if you remember from the show, Nick St. Clair is like the fucking douchebag. Nick St. Clair sucks. He is like that guy who uh, drugs and tries to sexually assault Veronica, and then he also drugs Cheryl as well. And, uh, yeah, she gets... Uh, he People uh, give him a little bit of a comeuppance in the show, which is nice. And here he's just kind of like a conniving jerkwad. He doesn't try anything untoward. He's just like a friggin' dick. And every time he talks, you're like, shut up, Nick Sinclair, you dumb nerd. And I didn't know this, but apparently Nick Sinclair is from the comics. I kind of looked him up before, and he has a terrible soul patch in the comics. So if you've ever wanted to see just a hideous soul patch, please look up Nick Sinclair in Archie Comics, because it is gross-looking. Like, discount Guy Fieri. Uh, but yeah, so Veronica's chapter is great in that way, and there's this whole thing about her going to uh, Barney's, which is, again, a real place. Didn't know that. It's a real place. It exists. It's a real store and has a bunch of very high-end, super rich stuff. So that was a little surprising. I was like, oh, okay. And she tries to like buy something, and her credit card gets declined, and she has like a big freakout, and that's kind of what sets off and how she begins to notice that she's kind of on the decline and something's wrong with her bank accounts and like little things are kind of like coming up in there and i don't know it's uh it's really cool it's good i thought it was uh, a cool plot line and a cool way to tell and kind of introduce veronica as to where she was and where she like the heights that veronica is at versus what she is at at the point of starting riverdale and where she is as a character now. So, like, it was a, it's a nice progression from that end. Um, there is some ridiculous things in this chapter, in these chapters, though. Like, there's mentioned of Bobby Flay, 
like apparently Bobby Flay is going to be doing their big 4th of July party uh, for something, or she got mimosas from him or something. There's some something about Bobby Flay, and I was like, okay, Bobby Flay, wow, he's so cool. We find out Hiram, the, the book opens when they're on a yacht, and we find out that it's named the SS Loophole. And you're like, all right, that's, that's weird. Okay, that's dumb. That's a stupid name, Hiram. Name things better, you dumb, dumb, dummyson. And, uh, you know, that's it. That's it. So if you, the best part of this book is is the stuff with Veronica. Because, again, she has a full arc. She goes, she starts at the top, and then she's kind of thrown back at the bottom and then has to deal with that. And she has a whole plot line, unlike Betty, who who's plot and character development kind of get cut off for some reason and i'm not really sure why but yeah so she gets a good finale and a good last chapter as she learns about coming into riverdale and getting getting going archie let's just get archie stuff out of the way all archie does in this book is work archie works archie has some conversations with jughead archie randomly runs into some members of the pussycats he talks a lot about how much he's into Miss Grundy and loves Miss Grundy and is going to be with Miss Grundy forever and is going to go on a trip with Miss Grundy. And there's some talk about, like, things happening, like, uh, in the past. So there's some stuff that is looking backwards instead of looking forwards, which is kind of interesting, and you learn kind of what the deal with Archie is. Um, gosh, it's, it's not great. Archie stuff is just, oof, bleh, bleh. I feel like it could just kind of be thrown out. The best parts of it are the things that deal with his dad, because Fred Andrews does show up, and Fred Andrews kind of deals with what Jughead's dad is up to, F.P. Jones, and we kind of like get some stuff with that that's kind of hinted at in Archie's chapters, but really comes out in Jughead chapters in a, in a really good way. Um... But yeah, that's that's Archie's stuff. Like Archie's stuff is like the other characters he inter- he interacts with are are nice, but like for the most part, it's kind of just like yeah, yeah, yeah. We get it. You're you're stressed about trying to hide a secret, and you're sad. You're not hanging out with your friends anymore. Uh, get over it, Archie Cans. Finally, uh, we've got Jughead's chapter, which has like the most amount of kind of like just information about the city of Riverdale because it's just that's what Jughead is. He's just like a walking encyclopedia. Like, we learn about when the serpents were founded, which was, like, the 40s. We learn a lot about Pops because he's, like, in there talking to Pops. And Pops starts to explain the history and, like, a lot of the little weird things that have happened there, which I thought was really kind of cool. Like, apparently Madonna once ate at Pops. Bonnie and Clyde were at Pops at one point. Like, there's a whole bunch of, like, weird famous people that have come in and out of wherever Riverdale is, I don't know, but wherever that is, there's been a whole bunch of people who've just kind of come in and out over the years, so that kind of, that kind of was fun. There is, um, some weird stuff where I believe it's in his chapters, or maybe in the preface to his chapters, we find out that Midge is on the scene, because Moose is dating Midge, and he has to ditch Midge, ditch, ditch, midge in order to uh go off with kevin so they can have sex and you know get their fun gay times on and enjoy their spells and in the 
like the TV show Midge does not show up till season two. So I don't understand if Midge, like, again, we're going to be talking about season two and doing a recap on season two. Oh God. But I will guess I'll have to kind of pay attention and, and see if that's mentioned in season two. Like if they're like, Oh, I was there the whole time. I was just behind that phone. And she's just conveniently behind a fern, and she's just, like, not there for the whole thing. And you're like, okay, whatever. There's also uh, some Dilton Doily stuff with Jughead that I think that comes in Jughead's chapters, which is, like, really cool. Because, like, Dilton Doily is, like, the dumb nerd who's, like, a survivalist. Survivalist. And you kind of learn more about his past. Like, his dad apparently is, like, super abusive and, like, left him in the woods for days to fend for himself in order to become, like, a man and learn how to survive. And it kind of just makes Dilton Doily a more interesting character uh, when you kind of learn his backstory. We also get introduced to his bunker in this. Uh, now, this was written in 2018, so the bunker stuff in Season 3 would have been at least known somewhere down the line. But we don't really get any mention of the bunkers in season one or season two. So having it show up here kind of makes that a lot more stomachable. And you can kind of like use in your head like, okay, this bunker always existed. This is the bunker that in season three would become the sex bunker where everyone has sex. Yep, that's a thing. Woo, yeah, crazy. That's great, isn't it? Um, And also we learn about there is a river monster in Sweetwater Lake or Sweetwater River I believe sorry yeah Sweetwater River not Sweetwater Lake uh and it is a river monster named Sweetie it's basically like a Riverdale Loch Ness monster and I really want this to show up in season four I would die with happiness if there is a random ass river monster that just shows up starts fighting like Archie's already fought a river once. What if this time he fought a river monster? And it's just like, I don't know, like a Loch Ness monster just came and like it just suddenly becomes like Jaws. Oh, they should do like a a summer season. Like they should do a season that's just like a, a shorter season, takes place in the summer. Bam, Sweetie's coming around, just wrecking shit up. And just like eating people, capsizing boats. It's like full on Jaws. You mean, you, you, you get... Okay, who's a good Quint? Uh, sure, F.P. Jones. F.P. Jones could be your Quint. Uh, we can find out about Dilton Doily's psycho dad. He can show up and be someone who dies and gets eaten. I don't know. It's, it's It seems good. Like, you have a bunch of mayors who are like, we don't want to close down the river. This is Rivertown. It's Riverdale. It's in the name. We can't close it down for the 4th of July. And then, um, yeah. So hire me to write that season, friends of Riverdale yeah but yeah so overall I like uh Jughead's chapter is mainly kind of dealing with one like the loss of a friendship which I kind of uh you know I found poignant I've been feeling those some of those emotions myself lately so it was nice to kind of like kind of relate to a character like Jughead for once and kind of being like oh this is uh this is really nice and this is pretty good and there's also a really interesting through line about how he deals with his father the idea that fp is not he does not he thinks that fp is no longer a serpent or he's like a serpent in name only and doesn't be involved in the drugs or the 
motorcycle gang anymore. And as we know from season one, he is very much involved in all of that. We also get a lot more backstory about Jughead's childhood and what uh, Archie's father and Archie meant to Jughead throughout the years. So we get some really interesting, really sweet scenes between Fred Andrews and Jughead, which I think work really well. And I kind of wish that they had filmed them because like if they made it on TV, like I think it would have been a great chance to just let both these characters expand on their acting chops. Uh, Unfortunately that can't happen now due to the passing of uh, the actor who plays uh, Fred. So that's unfortunate. May he rest in peace. But it would have been it would have been nice to see. Also, in the show, we don't really get a lot of clarification as to, you know, what their relationship is like. Like they don't dislike each other. They kind of just hang out, but like they don't have any scenes together really. That's just them. So it was nice to kind of to kind of get that. And the whole through line about the father stuff is really interesting. And yeah, so we also get more information about how much Jughead loves his drive-in job, which like you kind of get like really get to dive into the drive-in that you only get for, I believe it's like two episodes of the first season of the Riverdale. And it was a really nice setting and and Jughead really likes it. It makes Jughead nostalgic to better times when his family was more kind of like complete. And I don't know, whatever. I don't know if his... uh, See, what's weird about that is I don't know if his mother was always like the crazy go-getter crime boss that she becomes in season three. Like, maybe she's not that. Maybe she just became that after she broke up with FP. Although, like, I doubt it. Because, I mean, just given the way that she's characterized in season three. But anyways, so he's nostalgic for a time where nothing was really better. They were just better at hiding all their drugs, I guess. Uh, But, yeah, so... Uh, that is really good and it makes you kind of like miss that the drive-in setting didn't get used that much and kind of melancholic in that way because i think think it would have been a really cool way to just kind of have all these characters like meet up and have a movie or something like have a movie night and watch a movie and like hang out and do stuff other than pops because as is the show's only meeting point is like that one weird room in their high school which all the chairs that they hang out with and hang out and talk each other's beds sex bunker or pops and it's mostly pops it's pops 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 goes a weasel it's everywhere but yeah so jughead's chapters have uh, the most stuff that kind of introduces you to the importance of him as a character and make his journey into season one make a lot more sense so his chapters are definitely the most important to understanding the cohesiveness and enjoying riverdale the town as a whole and everyone who's in it and some of the stuff that would become very important in later seasons so that's why i think jughead's chapter is really good and that's why i think it's jughead's Jughead and Veronica's chapters are clearly the best, but uh, Betty's chapters are good too. I'm just kind of disappointed they didn't have a finale. And Archie is just Archie. Woo, you go, Archie, you fucking stupid, dumb, dumb, dumberson. But anyways, so yeah, that's kind of just the uh, the overview of the book. I would definitely recommend it, as I said. And if you kind of listened this far ahead and got a full breakthrough, I hope you enjoyed listening. 
As always, you can feel free to follow us on Twitter at mpodcastm. Feel free to shoot us a direct message or just add us or whatever, and uh, we'll get back to you and see how it's going. You can also email the show at milkshakesandmimosas at gmail.com. And I would really appreciate it if you went onto iTunes or whatever podcast app you do use and kind of give us five stars. Uh, or, sorry, you rate us, write a review and rate us. We will read any reviews that you send us on the show. And it really helps to increase our visibility. Uh, there are a lot of podcasts out there, so, you know, it helps. And that's it, guys. As always, blame the CW. Thank you, and have a great day.